0: Near before Zone! You can't go! All the plants are gonna die!
1: I'm gonna take a bath.
0: Bad
2: dates. I'll alert the media.
1: Boys, keep off the moors.
0: It's evil! Don't touch it!
1: The name's Pliskin.
0: No! Water! Hang on!
2: Welcome to a very special vintage video Patreon pick where our patrons at the $100 tier are invited to request any pre-80s title they'd like for a custom review from the Vintage Video team, over analyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
3: I'm Jesse Bayless.
2: And I'm Richard Wells. And today, Louis Letizia has asked us to review Three Women, released April 29th, 1977. It was written by Robert Altman, with uncredited work from Patricia Resnick, directed by Altman, and released by 20th Century Fox. In July of 1976, Robert Altman was producing a film directed by his protege Alan Rudolph entitled Welcome to L.A., starring a young Sissy Spacek. Altman's wife was in hospital at the time, and he had nightmares of her not making it home. After a day watching dailies, Altman dreamt of the actress and his recurring collaborator Shelley Duvall playing the same characters they are in this film. He shared his half-recollections of the dream with production assistant Patricia Resnick, who he entrusted to develop a 50-page treatment for the story. The script didn't go much further than this, and the cast were invited to improvise a lot of their characters' dialogue in each scene. Altman has also cited Ingmar Bergman's persona as an inspiration for the story. Altman had worked previously with Fox president Alan Ladd Jr. on MASH, and on the strength of their relationship, Altman made a handshake deal in a matter of minutes for the film's distribution promising to pay the $1.7 million production budget out of his pocket to secure creative control.
3: I suppose it's not much of a risk at that point. Right. But that's interesting that they were still willing to move forward with it without even really a script.
2: Yeah. Ladd was confident in the profits of Star Wars covering any worst-case scenario losses from three women, especially since before Popeye, Altman had a reputation for bringing everything in on or under budget. Soon afterward, Altman discovered the art of Bodie Wind at a friend's house and later commissioned the artist to produce the murals attributed to Janice Rule's character in the film. The murals in the film had to be painted at night by stage light because in the day, the 120-degree heat of the desert was boiling the paint off the walls. What? That's crazy. The cast and crew all stayed at the Purple Sage Apartments, actually the Sunbeam Inn, for the duration of the production. The film screened in official competition at Cannes, where Shelley Duvall won Best Actress. Good for her.
3: I'm impressed they could even film if it was reaching 120 degrees. I know, it seems like, dangerous for the camera. How do, you, how do you even shoot during the day at all?
2: From a silent 20th Century Fox logo, we dip to white and then come back on Janice Rule as Willie Hart, painting a mural on the walls of an empty pool. In the foreground, blue water sloshes back and forth in a tank. The mural is of a group of angry humanoid creatures with scaly legs, tails, and one of them has a large penis, which the other creatures seem to be recoiling from. The names of the actresses playing the titular three women fill the screen in a triangle. Sissy Spacek, Shelley Duvall, and Janice Rule.
1: Uh, I have a question. This is totally unrelated to the film. Yes. More of a question, and I think I may have asked this question before on the podcast. What is your opinion when you're including a number in the title whether you should have the, the number or the number the or the word. Like I, I feel like traditionally if it's, between, if it's one to 10, it's written out. And so I always, cause I was, I have an extensive video library Yeah. and I always get like, I always got this battle of, it's like, well, it's got the number. Some do feel
2: like three amigos is not the number, but three women is the number. Yeah. It's like, s- why? Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> seven samurai is definitely the word. Exactly. Like, why?
1: And so it, it's always a thing. Like, it's like, well, I just, I just put them all with the numbers as they're spelled. Yeah, uh, because I th- I feel like that makes the most sense. Sure. Now but I'm just,
3: now I'm just running through every film I can think of in my head to see how it plays with that rule. Yeah, <laughs> like three hundred. We're good. It's just a number. Yeah. Uh, twenty one Jump Street. Oh, it's Street. I don't know. Does that count? <laughs> well,
1: there's like there's there's uh the Sixth Sense, which is spelled out, but then there's right. the Sixth Day, which is the number.
3: Yeah. Hmm. But but when you talk about your senses you you say 6th as isn't always written out mm-hmm. so they're just keeping in line with what people normally do. there's
2: also the movie nine which is a word and the movie nine and the movie the
3: 999
2: and eight and a half which is the number right eight mile is the number
1: but uh cop and a half <laughs>
2: <laughs> cops not a number <laughs> <laughs> it's written out
1: if there's meaning or a purpose behind uh using the number versus using the word
2: yeah i don't i don't know how that's decided officially but uh that's interesting and it would help to to have a specific way to do it for organizing file purposes
3: honestly i am almost 100 percent certain it's just whatever looks and feels right at the time that they're putting the title together and i'm sure that it's probably hotly contested on some of those movies i'm
2: sure yeah The camera zooms into the mural and then dissolves to the legs of a heavyset woman stepping into a pool. She is escorted into the water by a younger woman and we see another young woman walking a second patient through the same pool. The blue water tank is still sloshing in the foreground. None of the characters are shown above the waistline yet. We're just seeing legs in water until after Altman's credit in the opening titles. And then we cut to a wider shot of the pool and we see Shelley Duvall as Millie Lamoureux walking a woman through the pool. We also see a sign indicating that at its deepest, this pool is three and a half feet deep. The score here is a lot of deep, ominous strings and a lone haunting flute, and it will stay that way for the whole film, and I actually really like the score. The camera spins around the room to reveal Sissy Spacek as Pinky Rose, looking through a window into the pool room. In her POV, we see that she's watching Millie specifically. A doctor walking through the adjoining room inaudibly hails a nurse to help Pinky get started with her new job here. Left in the pool with Millie, we see her talk to an older man sitting in the pool and informing him that there's a fly on his nose before gently swatting his face to scare it away. Pinky is given a tour of the facility by Mrs. Bunwheel, starting with the indoor therapy pool, which we've been watching. She recruits Millie to handle the rest of Pinky's orientation. They decide to meet in the locker room after lunch to get started. Later... Millie makes small talk by describing a microwave she's saving up for so she can burn hot dogs. Unclear who she's talking to though, because no one is standing especially close to her or even listening.
0: I like mine burnt crisps and you can set it to burn food just like you like it.
2: In the cafeteria, Pinky smiles at another of her new coworkers and then blows bubbles in her Coke to accentuate her childishness. Next, we see Pinky spinning herself around in a wheelchair she found, and then she follows what looks like the same girl into the locker room and watches her silently from afar.
0: Hi, I'm Pinky. Remember me? At lunch? That wasn't
2: me. We will confirm later that there are a pair of identical twins who work here together. Altman found these girls working in a restaurant, and this is their only credit. Millie enters the locker room while explaining to a group of girls the rules of Scrabble, but again, nobody's listening. Two of them, Doris and Alcira, speak exclusively to each other as they ignore Millie. She tells the friendlier twin that her roommate's boyfriend is real smart and knows all kinds of words she's never heard before.
0: But the most unusual one was zebus. You know what zebus are? No. The humps on a camel's back. Uh-huh.
2: In actuality, a zebu is a species of cattle with humps, and they are of no relation to camels beyond belonging to the class of mammals. At first, I thought the joke was that he just wanted to use the Z and made up a word. Right. <laughs> Millie finally starts Pinky's tour. Pinky says it's her first job in California. Millie decides to try a role playing exercise where Pinky will play one of the old folk patients and Millie will show her the proper procedure. But Pinky is slow on the uptake.
0: Okay, now, what's wrong with you? Nothing? Well, there's got to be something wrong with you. My bathing suit's too big? No. I mean, why else would you be here if it weren't something like your legs or your arms or there's gotta be something wrong with you oh my back oh my back and my leg my leg my leg hurts okay your back and your legs
2: she helps pinky into the pool with a walker millie tells her to get low in the water and as a joke pinky totally submerges herself but millie's not amused millie puppets pinky's legs around to exercise them and we see the twins whispering about it in the background later Millie walks Pinky through the tub room, but assures her that she won't be dealing with this room anytime soon, because an unattended patient has a risk of death in these tubs. A passing doctor mentions that Pinky and Millie both came from Texas, and then leaves, and Pinky hugs her new friend. Pinky stares at the twins more, watching them clock out and then following them down the sidewalk on their way out of the facility in the afternoon. We get another shot of Millie following coworkers out and basically talking to herself. She's trying to give her friends tips on where they can take hula lessons, and Pinky just watches Millie's bizarre behavior with a relaxed curiosity. Even after they split up and start walking different directions, Millie continues to talk long after her friends have left earshot, friends in quotes.
1: Yeah, they'll say friends in quotes.
0: You can take hula dancing lessons now down at Macy's Salon of Dance. I might do it. I like it. It's only $12. I think it's sexy.
2: Before she pulls away, we see Millie close her car door on her dress, which happened by chance the first time, but Altman liked the lack of self-awareness it implied, and instructed her to continue doing that for all future driving I, scenes.
3: Well, at first I thought it was an accident, and then I see that in every Keeps shot, and I'm like, oh, yeah. they definitely did that on purpose, because I, I I agreed that the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh, that's so
2: perfect perfect yeah. for her
3: personality.
2: That she, she just is so unaware of everything around her well, that she constantly closes the door on herself.
3: I kind of wish we had seen the, the flip of that and seen Pinky do that later in the movie oh
2: sure yeah we see pinky arrive home to an apartment the next day pinky is clocking out for her break and notices millie's card is still clocked in but she doesn't see her around pinky asks Alcirah what she thinks of millie and despite working here for a while the lady doesn't even recognize her name
1: millie you
0: know millie lamro mm-hmm.
2: Alcirah says doris is her best friend and they don't like the twins who seem to be within earshot of this comment back in her apartment that night pinky does a bit of sewing on the floor she looks tired at work the next day Millie walks a man to the tubs and then excuses herself to, quote, use the restroom, but instead lights up a cigarette. Pinky and Millie make plans to have lunch together. When they first walked in, Millie was complaining to the man that her mom sent tomatoes and she hates them. She won't even use them for spaghetti. She just butters and salts the noodles. Mrs. Bunwheel storms into the room and Pinky gets in trouble for having left someone unattended earlier. Around lunchtime, someone tells Pinky that Millie typically eats her lunch at the hospital across the street, even though it's twice as expensive as the cafeteria here. We cut to the hospital kitchen and Millie is sitting in the middle of a triangle of doctors who were just as disinterested in her words as everyone else is. Pinky sits at another table and just watches her new friend amused. On her way out of the cafeteria, Millie pins a roommate wanted notice to a bulletin board. The rate is $55, which is only $265 in 2023 bucks. We see Millie and Pinky driving together to a Wild West-styled bar called Dodge City. There's even an attached miniature golf course that looks more like a cemetery but Millie says it's not operational anymore. They push through the saloon-style doors into the empty bar, and Millie predicts correctly that everyone must be riding dirt bikes out back. They watch through the back window. Beside the dirt bikers, they knock on the window to get the attention of Willie, as played by Janice Rule, the third and last of the titular women. She is painting these strangely demonic lizard people on all surfaces of the empty pool. When Willie moves inside, we can see she's pregnant. Millie steps away to pick a song on the jukebox and points Pinky to an ugly doll's face mounted on the bar.
0: You hadn't seen Dirty Gertie yet. Pull her bow and she'll say hello. I'm gonna go put on some music. Oh, she spit
2: on me! The laugh that Dirty Gertie does here reminded me a lot of the movie The Fun House, and I'm pretty sure it's the same sound that we hear from one of the animatronics in that film. Mm.
3: Maybe.
2: Evidently, Willie and her husband Edgar live out back behind the bar and she doesn't talk much. Millie orders a couple of beers from her. Millie also mentions that Edgar is more sociable and even knows actor Hugh O'Brien from their appearances together on the Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp series. Pinky compliments Willie's art and gets no response and then chugs her pint of beer in one pull. In the first take, she threw up as soon as she finished it but was game to try again and kept it down the second time.
1: Was it the salt?
2: I don't know what it was that made her throw it up. Okay, but salt makes everything better. So, yeah, but that doesn't make yeah, sense. but if you put too much salt, no, too much salt makes everything better. Edgar pulls up outside with his dirt bike in the bed of his car. Millie introduces Pinky.
0: He was Hugh O'Brien standing on white
2: Stunt double. I did all the Hugh's stunts for him. She admits to Edgar that Pinky is only her nickname because she hates her real name, Mildred. Millie is obviously insulted.
0: Well, what do you think well, my name is, Millie? Oh. Oh, yeah.
2: Inside, Willie catches Edgar taking a sip of liquor and offers a disapproving stare. Pinky and Millie head to the Purple Sage Apartments where they are now roommates. The bottom of the pool here features more of Willie's murals. Willie and Edgar own this place too. A neighbor named Tom walks out trying to ignore Millie, and then inside, she claims that he's trying to be her boyfriend, but she's not interested.
0: He's always asking me out and everything, but I'm not going to go out with him until he gets over that cold.
2: And for the rest of the movie he will cough every time she says hi suggesting he knows it is keeping her away. <laughs> Pinky tells Millie that she's absolutely perfect and Millie is obviously flattered. Through a fish tank full of blue water, the same one we saw sloshing back and forth earlier, we watch Pinky do some sewing at night to fix a bathrobe that Millie gifted her.
1: I don't know if it's a fish tank. I think it's one of those uh like executive kind of display things where it's yeah. like a long bar with blue It's like it's like a blue oil right than water, but it, and sometimes it's, it's, it's moving and
2: sometimes it's not. Yeah. yeah.
3: So, like, we're getting pretty creepy vibes off of Pinky at this point, yes. right? So, I, I think
2: that's just a sissy space thing, but yeah.
3: I don't. I don't think so, though, because like I feel like there's a lot of.
2: You didn't think she was gonna kill people the whole way through Raggedy Man. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. Either. Okay,
3: she's <laughs> she's fairly creepy to begin with, but here I think she's playing it up too that yes, she's obviously super interested in, in Millie as a person, right? She Who even, no one else she has even shown said any interest so, right? Yeah. But she seems to be, you know, following her and yeah. pursuing her and trying to pick up things about her and be like her in other ways. It
2: seems like she's reacting to Millie the way that Millie wishes everyone reacted to her. Right.
3: Yeah. So I I didn't really know anything about this movie going in. Yeah. And I guess at this point I'm honestly think she's she she was trying to like perform identity theft like right yeah like she's actually like here maliciously sought this girl out and is trying to take over her life yeah and i was certain that her name's not millie or mildred yeah
2: no i th- i definitely think that too that that her name is pinky or that it's something else and her nickname is pinky and there's no way she wouldn't recognize millie as a nickname for her own name yeah because she would have been called millie by someone in her life so I think you're right that it is a situation where she's lying that Mildred is also her name. Okay. Uh, but I also think that she hadn't fully decided on Millie until today because earlier in the day we saw her like following the twins and trying to match their pace on the sidewalk and throwing her hair over her shoulder at the same time as they did it. Like she's she's still deciding which person she's going to be emulating with this new personality she's putting together. Millie makes some tuna melts and tells Pinky her recipe out loud. Pinky thanks Millie for the meal, and especially for not including tomatoes.
0: Even when I have spaghetti, I don't put tomato sauce on it. You just use that other white stuff. You don't like tomatoes? (laughs) Me either. They call them love apples, but I don't love them.
2: (laughs) Do they? (laughs) This is the first I'm hearing.
3: (laughs) I do like that every recipe in this movie, I mean, aside from there being just quite a lot of melts, like every recipe feels like it's from like a, a Betty Crocker cookbook like it's like let's make sure we use as much like canned materials as possible.
2: It, it feels like depression era recipes yeah, like yeah, yeah. what you can find in your cabinet right. because right, right. you don't have real food. But it's the thing <laughs> th- what to eat when you're poor. It's
3: the thing on the back of the packages. Right, right yeah.
2: Right. This is also the first we'll see a Pinky being blatantly suspicious because we saw her overhear her mention that she doesn't like tomatoes earlier so we know that she's not by coincidence bringing it up or yeah. she would have said I heard you say this earlier. And I also hate tomatoes. We see Millie write in her diary and Shelley Duvall reads the entry out loud. Apparently she wrote these herself in addition to improvising a large portion of the rest of her dialogue in the film. Pinky creepily watches her sleep for a bit. She dreams through the sloshing fish tank of Willie painting some more. The next day, Millie says she's got a hot date tonight so Pinky shouldn't wait up for her. Of course, Millie comes home much earlier than planned and says hi to some neighbors on her way through the courtyard.
1: Millie,
0: you're back. I am going to
2: Millie almost catches Pinky reading her diary and takes out her frustration with the failed date on Pinky. Millie heads back to the courtyard to talk to the neighbors who actively mock her. The next day, they get stuck late at work because Pinky accidentally punches out with Millie's card and they have to fix it. On the drive home, Pinky wonders about the twins and if they know which one they are or if they trade off sometimes. At Dodge City, they wander around the side to a shooting range. Pinky seems very uncomfortable around the guns. Sometime later, Millie tells Pinky they'll be hosting a dinner party tonight.
0: I'll go and do the shopping if you'll clean up the apartment, okay? Okay.
2: Millie brings home the grossest, tackiest party spread and puts Pinky in charge of easy cheesing the crackers to top them with olives. Pinky has trouble opening a jar of cocktail sauce and accidentally spills it all over her shirt. Millie has to go back to the store to replace it. They shot a scene here where Pinky gets her shirt messy and then pretends it's covered in blood as a prank So when Millie comes back, she would see her lying on the ground with a knife under her arm. But uh, they decided not to use that sequence. But then a piece of that moment shows up in a dream sequence later. When Millie's at the store, her friends stop by and tell Pinky that they're going to head to Dodge City instead and to pass the word along to Millie.
3: I definitely forgot that the bar was named Dodge City at this point. I'm like, they're going a really long way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Get the hell into Dodge. Millie blames Pinky for the cancellation and storms out of the apartment. She comes back hours later with a guest and kicks Pinky out of the bedroom for the night. Pinky is shocked to see that she's brought Edgar home.
0: I think we ought to have Pinky join us. In the fun, huh?
2: I mean two, Come on, Edgar. but three. Pinky tries to talk her out of sleeping with Edgar behind his pregnant wife's back and Millie tells her that everyone hates her and to leave. Pinky steps out onto the second story railing and balances on a table before jumping over the side into the pool below. Willie notices her floating in the water first, and Tom quickly fishes her out of the water. Later, paramedics ask witnesses what happened, and, standing in the pool, Willie sees her husband come out of Millie's apartment.
1: Is This, this is, like, the only line that we've gotten from Willie so far, right? Right, yeah, yeah, it's the first
2: words that she said was, Tom, come get her. I was convinced that Pinky was faking this injury, but it turns out she's in a coma. I you know, thought she was faking the coma the whole time. How do you fake a coma? You
3: can't fake a coma. Was she trying to kill herself or was she just trying to get
1: attention? I think she
2: was trying to kill herself or trying to get attention. One I, of those two. I don't think she to was trying to kill herself. answer your question definitively.
1: Because whenever it did a close-up of her in the hospital bed, it seems like she was just barely cracking a smile. And I didn't know if that was intentional or... Or if it was just like a trick of the eye.
2: But I think there's also like brain readings that would tell you if a person was just closing their eyes or in a coma. Because otherwise I'd have been in a coma for the last year. I
3: mean, I think that they do other sort of (laughs) response tricks too. Like you could poke the feet and stuff and like people can't fake that.
2: Yeah, just tickle her a little bit. (laughs) I wonder if there's a like on staff tickler for coma wards. (laughs) Like, all right, we got to do a fake check. Where's the tickler? (laughs) (laughs)
1: or murder by death with the blind test those were my funniest faces
2: (laughs) (laughs) millie cries in a hospital as a doctor walks up to let her know pinky's situation and we get my favorite background dialogue in the film (laughs) as he walks up he's tucking a pen in his shirt pocket and a nurse in the background says
0: he took my pen again
2: (laughs) the doctor tells millie that someone should try reaching out to the girl's parents he tries to take her out for a meal to calm her down but millie can't bear to leave pinky's side Later, Millie tries to reach out to Pinky's parents in rural Texas, but in the absence of a landline, she's advised to send a telegram.
0: A telegram? That'd be the fastest. I'm sorry. But I don't I don't even know how to send a telegram.
2: Millie visits Pinky at the hospital and tells her unconscious form that her parents are coming somehow. At work, Millie gets everyone to sign a get well card. When Pinky's parents call the facility, Millie gets in trouble for giving them this number. When they see her in the hospital bed, Pinky's parents recognize her, but neither of them seems to completely understand what's happening here.
1: And and when I was watching this, I was like, man, how come James Cromwell looks so old in this? <laughs> I couldn't believe how old James Cromwell looks. And I was like, <laughs> looking through the cast, that's not James Cromwell. No, not at all. <laughs> It's, that's why, but it's a, but he is the spinning image. I didn't. Of his I son. didn't even
2: realize that he looks something like James Cromwell. I, did,
1: I didn't either. It's his father. Yeah, it's James Cromwell's oh. father. And I looked at a young picture of John Cromwell, like like, like from like the forties. It's like holy crap,
2: he looks exactly like his son. Oh,
3: that's so funny. I didn't even notice.
2: Do you know what a Gromwell is? A Gromwell? No, no. Isn't that the name of a flower? Well, that, I don't know. It's, I think that was a at least a, a reference in the Baxter when they're. Mm. The two characters are talking about how they've read the entire dictionary. Uh, dictionary. Like they have that in common. It's one of their weird quirks that they have in common. And and she's like, I just got to the word Gromwell.
0: <laughs> you know, I particularly liked the word Gromwell the type of plant bearing yellowish flowers and white, white stony, stony necklace. necklace.
1: <laughs> I love that word. I
2: think here, this here, character. Look,
1: look, look at this. You're telling me that's not James Cromwell?
2: Mm, that's not James Cromwell. That's John Cromwell.
1: Look at that.
3: I, I, no? I guess I wouldn't have made the connection.
2: That'll do JPEG. Um, get it?
3: <laughs> I get it. <laughs> they do look like, uh, you know, these characters could be out of like American Gothic. You know, yeah, they're, totally. They're, they're they're definitely farm people.
2: Yeah, but I, I like that uh, Altman wants us to not know if they're her parents, so he makes them very weird, <laughs> 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 and so that we're just like, are they crazy that they are think they, that that's are, their daughter?
3: Are they weird? Right are they she's weird are they all weird as a family or are are they just misunderstood in terms of like just thinking that this is their daughter
2: but the mom right away was like oh yeah that's our pinky like i recognize her that's our pinky but she also at the same time like doesn't really understand that her daughter's in a coma and then her husband is like has no idea why they're even there like they got on a plane or a train to come here and they don't even know why they're here yeah because he's just like why is she in the bed what's going on is she sick? What does she have? And, and her mom's like, be quiet, you're going to wake her up. And it's like, no, I'm not. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I should be loud. I should try to wake her up. Pinky's mom gives Millie a gift that it seems like she just wrapped up off the wall of her own kitchen. Like It reminds me of uh, Christmas Vacation, where she just wraps up the cat and brings <laughs> it to Christmas. She's just like, here. It's
0: for Pinky. Go ahead and open it. Read it. In this kitchen, bright and cheery, daily chores I'll never shirk. So bless this kitchen, Lord, and bless me as I work.
2: It's for the kitchen. Pinky doesn't wake up as Millie predicted, so she invites the parents to stay in her apartment for the night. In the middle of the night, she finds them fucking in her bed.
3: (laughs) I wasn't quite sure what they were doing, but yeah, that might have been it. Yeah,
2: creative fucking. Back at the gun range, Willie practices shooting targets. Back at the hospital, a nurse informs them that Pinky is awake, but in the room she claims not to know who these people are with her.
0: They're not my parents. Well, sure they are. They're not my parents. I've never seen them before. Pinky. It's Mama. Here's your Daddy. See?
2: Pinky gets angrier and angrier at the implication that these are her parents. Eventually, demanding that Millie stop calling her Pinky, suggesting some kind of mental issue was at play, because she didn't have a problem with that name when she went into the coma. At work, Millie tells everyone that Pinky's doing better, but nobody listens or cares. At home, Millie tells Pinky that they all cared a lot, and now it's Pinky's turn not to care. Pinky worries aloud that she might be pregnant and accuses one of her doctors of having raped her in a coma, or on sedatives after the coma, I'm not clear. She also claims that a doctor suggested a room to herself would help her recovery, but passive aggressively reminds Millie that they have a one bedroom apartment, and that's not an option here. Millie offers to sleep on the roll away bed and gives up her room and instead of thanking her Pinky just says fine. At work, Millie tells her bosses that Pinky is well enough to return and they have no idea who she's talking about.
3: I do think that this is an interesting turn because like as as they're sort of, you know, shifting through their personalities, it's not quite different for Millie to to be seeking everybody's attention, but now she's using Pinky to seek the attention as right. opposed to herself. So yeah. it's still sort of Within her personality, that she's doing this, so it's it, it's very subtle and gradual.
2: Yeah, but it also does feel like before this point, it seemed like no one knew who Millie was, and after this point, no one knows who Pinky is. So it does seem like it's a sixth sense situation where one of these people is real and one of them is not, and they traded places.
3: Yeah, they're with just the, the accident. same person, but that's not the case. They're both Millies.
2: Yeah. Millie calls Pinky on her break, and we see Pinky is hanging out at the apartment with Edgar. And she waves for him to be quiet and not give them away. After she hangs up, Pinky and Edgar laugh strangely.
1: Well, because she spits in his face, and I think she's supposed to be like Dirty Gertie. Yeah, so she's supposed to be like imagining. (laughs) Ah,
3: that makes more sense. I did not get that.
0: (laughs) Ah, ah,
1: ah, ah, ah. (laughs) But but that's a memory from before.
2: The accident, yeah. The
1: accident. So it's just like, how much is she remembering?
2: Or the on-purpose, we'll call it. I don't know if there's a word for that. Attempt.
1: Munchausen's by suicide?
2: What? Millie gets called into her boss's office at work to explain a problem with Pinky's paperwork from when she was first hired. Apparently, she copied Millie's social security number. Millie stands up for her friend and insists it was an honest mistake. Dr. Moss seems especially paranoid about a potential audit and accuses Pinky of having done this on purpose. In solidarity, Millie quits.
0: Well, you don't have to worry about any social security numbers anymore because I quit. It's a horrible job. We don't need it. Neither of us.
2: In the parking lot outside, Millie finds her car has been stolen. The cops who show up happen to be Deidre's friends who canceled on her the other day. They drive to Dodge City to find the car in the parking lot. Deidre's inside and says Pinky drove the car here, and she's out shooting with Edgar now. Millie lets Pinky know how upset she is, and Pinky just keeps shooting and chugging on a beer.
0: Pinky, I had to call the police and everything. They're sitting in there right now waiting on me. They think somebody stole my car. They're sitting in there, huh? Well, aren't you the lucky one?
1: But see, this doesn't seem like Millie's behavior at all.
2: No. But she was much more comfortable with the gun before, and Pinky was terrified of them. Mm. Back in the Sage apartment courtyard, Pinky is hanging out with all the neighbors who seem to like her more than they liked Millie. Millie finds Pinky's diary in the apartment and reads it out loud.
0: At least I've got her to move out of the bedroom. I wish I could remember more about her, but I do know she isn't much fun to be around. Oh well, c'est la vie. Maybe she'll move out and I can have the apartment to myself again.
3: So this is Pinky writing as Millie in Millie's diary.
2: She's writing in her own diary. Her own diary. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Because
3: I that, the diary from earlier was Millie's diary. Correct. Oh. Okay. But this so is Pinky's diary, diary
2: now, okay. and she because Millie has a diary, she decided she was going to start keeping one. Oh, okay. That and, but, makes
3: more sense because I was I this was the thing that stuck struck me as like crazy identity theft body snatchers type of situation where she's like literally writing as if she were Millie at this point well
2: she kind of is because she says I want to have the apartment to myself again which implies that she was the Millie before who had the apartment that Pinky moved into
3: right but she's not she's not writing that in Millie's diary right she's writing
2: writing it in her own diary as though she's been Millie the whole time
3: yeah but this seemed like a much bigger jump in that character
2: switch Later, Millie confronts Pinky about some of her lies, and when she finally loses her temper, Pinky demands to be addressed as Mildred. Left alone, Millie reads more of Pinky's diary, and Pinky catches her doing it out loud again. Like she just left the room, and then you started reading her diary out loud. Of course, she's going to come in here and see what you're doing. That night, in a dream sequence, we see Pinky sleeping in bed, and the blue water sloshes in front of her. We see Millie shaking with bloody arms, the two twins staring across a pool. We hear Millie's echoing hospital sobs, we see inserts of Willie's pool mural, and we hear that creepy spitting face laughing again. We see Willie and Edgar dancing at the bar, Pinky bloody on the floor of the apartment with a knife in her chest, and one at a time we see Millie and then Pinky firing a gun at the shooting range. Back in The Waking Life, Millie wakes up in the middle of the night to find Pinky standing over her in tears.
0: What's the matter? I'm scared. What up? I had a bad dream. Dreams can't hurt you. Can I sleep with you?
2: Hours later, Edgar uses his own set of keys to enter their apartment drunk and finds them sleeping together.
0: What
3: are you
2: two doing
0: in bed together? Are you learning some new tricks, my little pinky pinky? Leave her
1: alone.
2: <laughs> Millie threatens to call the police on Edgar if he doesn't leave, and his drunken response sounds very hunter Thompsony Thompson-y. The police.
0: I mean it. The police, that's funny. Those are all my pals. I mean, if they knew what was happening, they'd be right here with me just celebrating. Because of this moment, right now, I'm becoming a father.
2: Millie asks where Willie is, and he admits he left her at home. She and Pinky head right over. She finds Willie in the midst of labor pains and sends Pinky to get a doctor from the hospital. Instead, Pinky just meanders outside and watches the birth go poorly for hours from behind the same sloshing tank. Millie finally gets the baby out, but it's not breathing. It never breathes. She places the baby on its mother and wanders shocked out to Pinky, realizing as she gets closer that not only has the baby died, but Pinky never even tried to fetch a doctor. She slaps blood from the stillbirth across Pinky's face as punishment.
0: You never went. You never went!
2: Now we cut to a seemingly different universe. A box truck filled with pallets of beverages pulls up to the bar, and two men carry flats of soda inside. One of these guys is Eric Binford from Fade to Black played by a younger Dennis Christopher. Pinky sits behind the counter as they arrive. Binford asks her to sign for the order, and she says she has to get her mom. She knocks on the same window at the back of the bar to get the attention of someone dressed like Willie, but when she looks up, we see it's Millie. Shelley Duvall and Sissy Spacek were actually the same age, 27, during production, but playing mother and daughter suddenly. The delivery guy mentions something terrible that happened to Edgar, and Millie calls whatever it was a terrible accident.
0: I just don't understand it, him
2: being so good with guns and everything. Which is probably a hint that Edgar was killed by one of the three titular women. Willie deserves it the most.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a reference to earlier in the film when he's like, you know, nothing's worse than a a woman that knows how to shoot or something like that.
2: Yeah, and we see Willie practicing and shooting successfully at a Target. Millie and Pinky walk to the back of the house to start preparing dinner with the now-grandmotherly Willie. Just
0: had the most wonderful dream. I was trying to remember it, but I couldn't.
2: The camera backs away from the house and settles on a nearby pile of tires in the dirt. Obviously, Altman invites all interpretations of the film, but has admitted that he believes Edgar is buried here under these tires. But if he's buried under the tires, then people wouldn't know what happened to him and they wouldn't know that it involved a gun. Right. You would fake it like he left town because you wouldn't yeah. be like, Oh, he died of gunshots and we buried him under those tires. Right. <laughs> but yeah. That's the end of the film. Credits roll there. That's three women, guys. What did you think?
3: It's very much not my kind of movie. Sure. And I'm pretty sure everybody would know that going into this. It's a it's like a it's a slice of life, but also kind of
2: It's very much a mood piece also. Yeah. And it's something that even my describing it doesn't do the actual filmmaking justice because right. there's there's a mood to everything it's very tense the whole time and and it, you really have to watch it to yeah, appreciate it yeah
3: it's, it's it's entirely about how you're feeling about these characters yeah. because nothing really happens for most of the film sure um i mean i know she goes into a coma and i know there's a stillbirth uh, like those are things that happen but really it's, it doesn't have like a, a story arc. yeah it's a it. character piece mm-hmm. um so that's already starting out in the n- not my thing. Yeah. Um that being said, I think that these characters are really fascinating. Yeah. Uh but it's not the sort of thing that I would go and tell anybody to go and watch.
2: I wouldn't and I have. <laughs> <laughs> i have made people watch this
3: two right now yeah <laughs> i made
2: two more people watch it earlier because yeah. uh this podcast was requested after i showed up on the random acts of cinema podcast and neither of those hosts had seen it either after i suggested it so um yeah so uh i've now made at least four people watch this
3: yeah i mean i still i still think i would probably give it a thumbs up you know even even though it's a reluctant thumbs up because it's it's interesting. Um, these characters are interesting. It's well made in, you know, as a piece of cinema. It's yeah. fine. Um, it's just not really my thing,
2: and it doesn't have the Altman crosstalk stuff that bothers <gasps> yeah, you. yeah, I was mm-hmm.
3: waiting for that, and it didn't happen, which yeah. was great. So yeah. checkbox in the good category.
2: yeah <laughs> I, I feel
1: like I like every other Robert Altman movie.
2: <laughs> how many have you seen then
1: yeah exactly. <laughs> if
2: this is too slow for you then i guess i'd guess that there's probably at least 80 percent that you haven't seen
1: <laughs> yeah um it, i feel like he he does like a movie he, 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 that has a lot of nonsense yeah and like this movie to me was a lot of nonsense uh i didn't like any of the characters at all like i think i thought that i agree that they are a fascinating and interesting kind of character Personas, but I don't like them. I don't like them as
2: people. I like yeah. Shelley Duvall. I like Millie the whole time. Ah, uh, nah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree with Richard on this one. I don't. I don't like the characters, but they are fascinating. Yeah.
2: No. I I love Millie, but Millie feels like quintessential Shelley Duvall to me, where it's mm. just like, you know, endlessly empathetic, and you just yeah. want to like run in and hug her after every scene. You're like, I'm so sorry you went through that just now.
1: Well, there's almost no difference between this character and olive oil.
2: <laughs> well, olive oil is is abrasive and and shouts at everybody all the time and she's bossy and she's in charge of stuff
1: but that's how i that's how i felt about millie the whole time especially when they're in their apartment together really sweet
2: she's just trying to make friends no olive oil doesn't want friends olive oil just wants to yell at people
1: millie is not nice
2: at all (laughs) who is she mean to what does she mean to
1: pinky all the time
2: she's mean to her once when she comes back from a fucked up date that she that she thinks is mean to her about the cocktail (laughs) sauce mean to her about the cocktail sauce yeah because she had to turn around and go back to the store no she didn't
3: yeah it was fine yeah she She made she made a big deal out of everything
2: why why didn't she have to go back to the store well because the whole game night was canceled
1: (laughs) well (laughs) well that ultimately because pinky said because they said it's like we won't have enough it's like i won't eat one it's like but then the plates won't be even it's like what does that even mean
2: oh apparently you're you're a terrible party host (laughs) because you need to have a cocktail sauce per for per guest that's just a standard understanding uh yeah so i i also why only buy exactly as many as you need yeah (laughs) it's just like you drop one olive and you're like fuck i have to go back to the store (laughs) yeah
1: i only bought exactly six
2: olives (laughs) but we have one cracker per person
1: they were so mad at me that i took the olives out of the jar (laughs) uh but yeah i i didn't know what i was supposed to be feeling at the end because while i do feel edgar got what was coming to him i don't
2: think you're supposed to feel anything i think you're you feel what you feel
1: yeah Well, I felt anger. If you watch the movie, (laughs) having watched this movie, if you
2: think you're answering a riddle instead of listening to a poem, then you're doing it wrong. Okay, because there's not a there's not a correct answer. It's just like, uh, oh, I like the way that that happened.
3: I think what's fascinating to me about this movie and movies like this in general is it's the kind of movie that I cannot relate to in any way from. A filmmaking standpoint. Right.
2: I wouldn't know how to make this. But that's what I'm yeah. saying
3: is like, how on earth do you make this movie? Because I don't know how you sell this movie. I don't know how. You <laughs> the sell- way
2: you sell it is you walk in, you go, hey, Laddie, I got a movie called Three Women, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I talked to Shelly this morning and she'll be in it. And he's like, all right, whatever. But like, beyond day.
3: like literally selling it to the studio in order to distribute it, but like, how does the studio advertise it? How do you tell your crew what the hell you're making? How do you get the actors and actresses on board? Like, i don't know how you convey what the hell this is to
2: anyone by 77 i think is when this came out 76 or 77 uh altman was in a place where he just had a crew that followed him from project to project and they would just be like we don't care just just tell tell us what to do what to do and we'll go do the thing which
3: is just it's just interesting because i don't know especially if he didn't have a script and he was a lot of it was improvised i'm like i don't I, I don't know how to make a movie like that. I, I don't know how you put together a plan for that, a crew for that, a shooting schedule yeah. for that. I mean, it, it feels very much to me like the Mumblecore movies. Sure. Which and I also I do those. not like. <laughs>
2: I love Mumblecore. And, and it's the only thing that I'll ever probably come close to actually producing myself It <laughs> would be a Mumblecore <laughs> movie because uh, I'm never going to have what they call a budget for anything. <laughs> But, um, but I love Mumblecore movies. Like I literally haven't been disappointed by a single one of them so far. I saw funny ha-ha a long time ago, and I was like, what is this? I need to see more of these and then found all the Duplass stuff and um what's that guy that makes one every year? Jo- Joe Swanberg? yeah, Swanberg, all of all of his stuff is great.
1: yeah, but I I yeah, it's a thumbs down for me. i didn't I didn't care for it. um I thought thought it was well filmed yeah. like there there was there was a shot. I remember. I think it's when Millie is going to confront Pinky at the gun range. Yeah. And it starts with this straight down shot of the mural that's on the patio outside of the bar. And it and it almost seems like Shelley Duval's walking straight up a wall. Yeah. It it it's it, there's like no shadows. And and it it, just, it was like and then and then it just it just keeps following her up into the air. I was like, oh, that was that was a really interesting shot. Yeah. because um, the camera's so high up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this is this is this is impressive, but, um, uh, yeah, I I didn't like it. And, and I don't
2: want to take credit away from Shelley Duvall, but I feel like she slips very naturally into this role because it's just a Duvall type character. I feel like she was a very similar character in in uh, Brewster McCloud um
1: but she was so cute and bubbly in she's bruce cute McLeod. in everything
2: she was cute in this she was adorable in this
1: she is adorable but i like see and bruce mccloud again bruce mccloud is a movie i don't know what this movie's about
2: yeah but you liked it because it was wacky and this yeah, isn't wacky
1: was, bruce mccloud was so wacky
2: yeah <laughs> because if it's a comedy it doesn't have to make sense but you know, if it's a drama it has to yeah. make sense there has to be a correct answer for you
1: yeah, yeah. or at least renee or rojanois which this movie was lacking I'm sure
2: he was in there somewhere, <laughs> but um, what I was going to say is that I, I I think Shelley Duvall didn't have to work as hard to be this person for this movie, especially because her character isn't changing, and we never really question her motivation. Her motivation seems the same the whole time, which is, I am a lonely person who doesn't quite understand social graces and wants to get along with everybody and wants to be popular, but I don't know how to finagle that, but... The Pinky character, we don't understand. We don't know what her motivations are or what her goals are until things have already happened. And I feel like it's really impressive that Sissy Spacek was able to come in here and have such a grasp on the character with so little instruction from Altman and still have it be so interesting. Like, she's just such a great actress. I can't get over how much I love Sissy Spacek and everything I've seen her in.
1: It's crazy how young she looks when she's much older. Right.
2: Right. Because this, this came out like a month after, or no, this was this was a, maybe the year after. This was 77, so this was a year after Carrie. But still, she was playing like a young teenager yeah. in that.
3: I think they did a good job, though, of differentiating her from the beginning to the end of the movie. Um, she's right. like completely without makeup at the beginning of the movie. She looks very childlike with the way she has her hair and her clothes. And then towards the end of the movie, there there is some more makeup and she's looking more mature.
2: Well, yeah, it's inter- are you talking about in the scene like after the the No, like stillbirth? When, she's,
3: when she's like hanging out with the neighbors yes, yeah. and, you know, it's like- But
2: then she goes back to being a kid at the yeah. end. Right, exactly.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, because yeah, she's like, I have to get my mom. Like, it's like- Right. Well, you're, you're a grown up, you know? Yeah. Uh, was this ever turned into a play?
2: Not that I know Cause of.
1: Because this seems, this seems like it would be like- Ripe for for a stage
2: production. Let's you could do, do it th- in like three women, the musical. <laughs> yeah. Let's do the it. Musical. Our writer director here was Robert Altman. He directed MASH, which we covered in a Patreon episode, Popeye with a regular episode, and Health with a mini-sode. He also directed Brewster McCloud, The Long Goodbye, Nashville, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, The Player, Shortcuts, Gosford Park, and lastly, A Prairie Home Companion before passing in 2006. He was nominated for seven Oscars and eventually took home an honorary award the year he died, but he never actually won the best director oscar like he should have uh writer uncredited for patricia resnick she was a production assistant on the film who goes uncredited in the film but apparently made significant contributions to the writing process she was also a consultant producer on the final season of mad men and a writer and executive producer on pamela adlon's better things she also co-wrote 9 to 5 with director colin higgins the music here came from gerald busby this was his only feature film composing credit. The cinematographer here was Charles Rosher Jr., who previously DP'd Pretty Maids All in a Row and The Late Show. He follows this with Semi-Tough, A Wedding, The Movie Movie, and Police Academy 6, Under Siege. The editor here was Dennis M. Hill. He previously cut Nashville and later Health. After this, he cuts Splash 2, the TV movie, Major League, Son-in-Law, Police Academy, Mission to Moscow. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Powder, and National Lampoon's Van Wilder. Shelly Duvall played Millie Lamoureux. We saw her in our first season as Wendy Torrance in The Shining and Olive Oil in Popeye. She also appeared in Altman's Brewster McLeod, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and Nashville, among others. She's Dame Pansy in Time Bandits, Susan Frankenstein in Frankenweenie, Harland Williams' mom in Rocket Man, And she also wrote and produced the lovely Shelley Duvall's Bedtime Stories TV series. And Robin Williams made an appearance in one episode as the Frog Prince, reuniting from their Popeye appearance together. Sissy Spacek played Pinky Rose. Sissy was also in Badlands and Carrie. We've seen her so far in Coal Miner's Daughter, Heartbeat, and the recent Raggedy Man, directed by her husband Jack Fisk. She's also in The Man with Two Brains, JFK, Blast from the Past, The Straight Story, the 2002 Tuck Everlasting, and she's also the mom in Hot Rod, opposite Ian McShane. Janice Rule played Willie Hart, didn't recognize many of her other credits. She did have a role on the first season of The Twilight Zone. She was also married at the time to actor Ben Gazzara, who I love. Robert Fortier, or Fortier played Edgar Hart. He was the town drunk in McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Popeye, and Ocean Stiggs, all three for Altman. He has the same credit in all three, The Town Drunk. We've also seen him in our minisode review of Health. I couldn't find any evidence that he was actually Hugh O'Brien's stunt double on Wyatt Earp, but he did appear in at least one episode of the show. Ruth Nelson played Mrs. Rose, Pinky's mom, uncredited as an unknown character in Anna and the King of Siam, and she's Mrs. Schmift in The Late Show. She comes back as Aunt Beatrice Sloane Corey in A Wedding, And later, she's Mrs. Lowe in Awakenings. John Cromwell played Mr. Rose. He comes back after this to play Bishop Martin in A Wedding for Altman. He also has directing credits dating back to the 20s. Most famously, he directed the 1930 Tom Sawyer, the 1936 Little Lord Fauntleroy, 1937's The Prisoner of Zenda, which gets a shout-out in MacGyver episode 3 for the road, and he also directed Anna and the King of Siam in 46 and Caged in 1950. And uh, I guess he's the father of uh, James Cromwell, which makes James Cromwell a Nepo baby. Take that. (laughs) 150-year-old James Cromwell. (laughs) Sierra Petcherer played Mrs. Bunwheel. We've seen her so far as Lorraine Runningwater in Bronco Billy and Mama in Hard Country. She also appears in an upcoming minisode review of Below the Belt. Craig Richard Nelson played Dr. Moss. He's the director on Quantum Leap. He's Professor Fredrickson in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids psychic bookstore owner in small circle of friends and Griffith in my bodyguard. Uh,
1: I wanted to mention, um, cause I, I, I recognize him purely by his voice. Yeah. Uh, and, and it took me forever to, to lock it down when I was looking through his cast. I was like, Oh, he was in an episode of TNG where he, uh, but I like that his, his name is inspector Craig, which is li- really close to Craig. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but it's a really good episode. Um, cause we were just talking about, uh, crap i'm gonna say mark margolis yes On better call saul mark margolis i Mar- think mark margolis on better call saul uh because he plays uh the ca- a character who's murdered and riker's blamed
2: in the same episode
1: yeah and uh inspector craig is the prosecuting attorney
2: oh okay interesting can you defeat the inspector Crag? it's like the aggro Crag, but brainy <laughs> instead of physical Maisie Hoy played Doris. She also shows up in McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Nashville, and A Wedding for Altman, but she mostly has editor credits, including for Altman's The Player and The Joy Luck Club, Freeway, What Dreams May Come, and more recently a string of Tyler Perry productions, and then a bunch of Dolly Parton collaborations. She was also an assistant editor on this film. Bolito Moreno played Alcira. We saw her most recently as Belinda Rosenberg in Mommy Dearest. Later, she is Mrs. Vega in Oh God, You Devil, Mrs. Canetta in Gross Point Blank, and as we mentioned in our Mommy Dearest review, Bolita Moreno is not related to Rita Moreno, except on sitcom George Lopez, where the same-named actress plays her mother. (laughs) So her her mother is played by Rita Moreno, but is not her mother in real life, Ah. despite spelling their last names the same. Mary Carver played a nurse. She was Nancy in From Here to Eternity, and she's Margaret Hollins in Arachnophobia. Dennis Christopher was Soda Delivery Boy. We just had him as one of the American runners in Chariots of Fire. He follows this appearance with celebrated turns in A Wedding and Breaking Away. We've seen him so far as Eric Binford in Fade to Black. More recently, he made an appearance in Tarantino's Django Unchained. Barry Youngfellow played Connie. She was Jan Grey in 120 episodes of It's a Living. Those are all the credits I have for this one. Kind of a sparse cast here. I think that's everything for three women. Thanks again to Louis Letizia for their generous contribution to the show. If there's any title you'd like us to review, our top Patreon tier includes a custom review of any pre-1980 title, but this tier is going to be expiring at the end of March. Uh, FYI, that's March of 2023 So if you're hearing this after that It might not exist anymore If you have any thoughts you'd like to share We are Vintage Video Pod On Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd Whereas I've said before You can find each of our full movie rankings for the year We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com Thank you so much for listening And I hope you'll join us next time When we'll be discussing whatever you choose We leave you now with a trailer for Three Women In a town at the edge of nowhere
0: I love irises
2: Millie Lambert
0: I love flowers Had a dream Candlelight
3: until Pinky Rose arrived.
0: It is Pinky, isn't it?
3: And a different dream began. Pinky! Robert Altman's three women
0: will make you re-examine everyone you've ever wanted to be. Rated PG.